Hi, I'm Lauren, and I listen to Cut to the Chase podcast because I'm always interested in hearing about other people's experiences, what they've learned from them, and how they've used those life lessons to move on and have a more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Gregory Proctor. Welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 19. Today is today. Basically, why we chose the topic of today is today uh, is solely related to our special guests. And so the meaning and kind of definition behind why we are going to talk about today is today is today is primarily is let today be the day you give up on who you have been for who you've become. And that's a quote by Hal Elroy. So as we look into our special guest, Lauren, who is a sales and marketing solution engineer, we find that she left home at the age of 18 and made a conscious choice to go at life alone, leaving an abusive environment, overcoming disability, was only the beginning of her journey. And as a sales and marketing technology consultant, she has been a sales operating support consultant. She's been a marketing content and communication specialist. She's been a senior content communication specialist, a training and development content specialist. And I think most of all, for me, the last two that I'm going to mention about Lauren is the fact that she's a friend and I value her. I mean, I met her on LinkedIn for everybody out there that says, Greg, you're always talking about meeting people on LinkedIn. Well, I tell you what, you know, I, I utilize the platform for making those relationships. And I think I think that's important to me. And then, of course, the last thing that's extremely important to me, guys, is I'm waiting for her album to get released because, I mean, she is a phenomenal singer, songwriter. The collaboration between her and her husband, I tell you, it is just it's breathtaking to hear these guys sing together. You, you would think that they've already won a Grammy. So besides all of those accolades, Lauren has obtained a Bachelor's of Arts from the University of St. Thomas. Overall, to our listeners, she's an outspoken professional who is brutally honest about the lines of discrimination, equal employment opportunities, and diversity. She believes in forward progress and supporting and discussing matters, not only from politics to music, but no topic is off limit to our special guests. And Lauren, I don't know if I did a great job. A lot of people go, Greg, you introduced me so poorly, I didn't want to talk to you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity, Lauren, <laughs> to say a few remarks. <laughs> I think... Th- they would most likely say the opposite, Gregory. You did a great job of introducing me. I sound pretty incredible <laughs> after your introduction, so thank you. Um, so, yes, my name is Lauren, and I am a singer and a songwriter. Um, and uh, I married my singing, songwriting partner and musical soulmate uh, about a little over two years ago. And he and I have actually been uh in bands together and songwriting for the last 14 years. So we are very much in sync. uh, And one of the things that we've been doing during the COVID lockdown, as well as 
the general frustration with all the tensions going on in the world has been writing songs. And we've set up a home recording studio and pretty much have all the instruments and everything we need at home to be able to record songs. And I did share um, a link to our SoundCloud account with Gregory and maybe he can share that with the group uh, after the podcast. So thank you so much for your introduction. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that uh, that really became the theme of, of this podcast after I listened to that song and I shared it with my wife and uh, we, we had it rocking one day, you know, here in our house because uh, we thought you were you were an award-winning Grammy singer. Like I said, it, it is that good. Thank so, you. <laughs> So anyway, as, as we jump into, <laughs> we're going to talk a little about, about your musical journey and everything, but, but as we jump into the podcast, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the decisions that you made early on. You know, one of the things I mentioned in, in the opening remarks and introduction about you is that you left home at a very long, uh, young age of 18 to be able to kind of pursue life on your own. Can you, can you share with our listeners, um, you know, just, just in in general terms, you know, what was the driving factor that kind of, you know, allowed for you to kind of take that step? Most people at the age of 18, at least, you know, I'm almost 50. So when I, when I look back when I was 18, I probably was in the same frame of mind because I was going into the military. And it's always good for me to hear what frame of mind other people were in when they decided to, to pursue life's journey. Right. Well, um, interestingly enough, I am a, a military uh, child. I was born on Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And at one point, um, I almost went into the military myself. Uh, but for me, the choice was kind of made for me in a sense because I'm the oldest of five kids. My parents got divorced when I was very young. My dad remarried. Uh, then he had additional children. My mother had an additional child and then my dad got divorced again. Then he got remarried. Then he got divorced again. And so there was a lot of turmoil and challenge and unfortunately abuse in our family because um, my ex-stepmother was very abusive uh, physically, mentally, um, and it just got to a point where I was basically acting like the mother of the house, taking care of her children, cleaning the house, uh, taking the kids to school, picking them up. And what I realized was I was never going to have any time to focus on myself and develop myself if I was doing everything for them. Um, And it would have been a little different if I was doing these things for them and it was appreciated, but it seemed as though I couldn't do anything right. And there was always a carrot to dangle. And the tipping point for me was when I graduated high school early and was applying to colleges and universities. And my father basically said, I'm not paying for any of that. And I couldn't get a co-signer on any kind of student loans. And he made too much money as a doctor for me to get any kind of financial assistance. So what I realized was that I was going to have to do this by myself. And so I, as soon as I turned 18, literally like the week after I turned 18, um, my birthday's in April, um, I basically struck out on my own and uh, moved from where I had been living in Houston, Texas to Galveston, Texas, uh, rented a room out and I was there uh, about six months on my own um, and uh, I ended up moving to Georgia for a little while 
to try to live with my mother and her um, husband, but it, it just became clear to me that I, I needed independence and that that was the best way for me to move forward in my life. So um, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're working so hard for other people and you keep putting them before you, after a while, you just don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel like you've actually accomplished anything because if, if all those other things are taken away, you, you don't really have anything. And so, you know, I needed to feel like I was accomplishing something in my own life and believe it or not, you know, paying my own bills. Um, and finally, once I was established independently and could apply for need-based financial aid, I was able to go uh, to college, to the actual university that I'd always wanted to go to, the University of St. Thomas. Uh, I went to middle school right across the street, and I just always felt drawn to it. And it took me eight years going to night school while I was working full-time, but I did get my Bachelor of Arts, and I graduated summa cum laude. So I was very proud of myself having put myself through school uh, and also kind of made my way up a, a corporate ladder in, in the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Totally, uh, totally relatable to... Uh, to not only me, but I'm sure to a lot of our listeners out there, you know, with regards to, like you said, you know, you, you put you put forth so much energy in giving and then you don't find that that fulfillment. In, in my case, um, you know, within the first company that that I owned and I ran for about 12 years, uh, it was it was always that way. You know, the burden just just continued to rest on on my shoulders, uh, the harder I worked, it seemed like the more people wanted out of me, the more not only uh, from clients and customers, but also from from my family. And of course, I was traveling extensively back then, uh, which made it even harder, you know? So uh, personally for me, it just, it just got to a point to, like you said, it was a tipping point in my life, just like it was in yours, where, uh, you know, it was either make or break. And uh, that independence was something that I was, I was kind of drawn to as well. And of course, I've gone through several stints like that in my life. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have um, where things like that have occurred and you've had to hit the reset button uh, in order to gain your sanity, you know, because if not, you, it, it, it could kill you. Right. You and and it almost did. It, right. it really almost did. Um, there was a point at which, um, and I'll, it, you know, freely admit this, where I was so depressed that I did try to take my own life um, and overdosed on on some pills. Uh, I recovered fully and uh, you know I also struggled with an eating disorder when I was a teenager and I think the stress and anxiety of the of the environment I was living in also contributed to that and I was a mess um, and I, I kind of stayed that way until I struck out on my own and began developing the life survival skills that I needed in order to succeed and having a job where I could actually grow and develop was very helpful because I at least could see the progress I was making, whether it be through how much money I was making or the different kinds of responsibilities I was being given, how I helped a company grow. Um, and so I've really felt as though my work, whether it be with singing, songwriting, and also actually working and getting paid for it has been a huge part of my identity as I've, I've grown into adulthood. Um, and I 
I really enjoy being a part of something greater than myself and contributing. Um, but like you said, sometimes you set the bar so high that people assume that you're always going to be the superstar. And, you know, my exuberance and excitement over, over certain things can sometimes be dampened by me not having the best day. You know, you mentioned me overcoming uh, disability, kind of the tough thing about a disability um, is that you always have the disability and you never know when it's going to pop up and be a problem. Um, and one of those disabilities is PTSD, uh, which can basically mean that you can have a panic attack um, anytime, any place, anywhere. Um, you don't always know that's what's happening. It takes time. It takes episodes um, and working through those issues for you to learn what that is and how to control it. But when something like that happens at work, it can be devastating because people just don't understand and it's confusing because you don't know if you're supposed to talk about your disability enough so that you can let someone know this could happen. Um, and I had a lot of challenges with that too because when I tried to be open about <clears throat> some of my medical conditions that I knew might affect my job or when it started to affect my job, I felt it was my responsibility to notify my manager and unfortunately that information was used against me um, more than once and uh, I've, I've had a lot of challenges in the workplace in terms of um, you know, discrimination, harassment, bullying, uh, people vocalizing that they were afraid that my PTSD or a panic attack could impact my ability to do my job. Um, and I actually got fired from a company for having a panic attack during a meeting. And that was especially devastating because it was not something that I felt like I could have I really could have controlled. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, those kinds of things are really hard to get over and move on because there will be situations where you feel like you're almost having the same thing happen again. And that fear can basically spiral into a panic attack. And so I think the biggest challenge for me has been giving myself and other people a chance when I've embarked on a new role at a new company. I'm about six, seven months in to a newer role uh, at a tech startup company, which I'm really enjoying the work. Uh, but what I realized is sometimes something would come up and it would mirror a situation that I, ex I had experienced in the past. And I would be fearful that a reaction from a manager or a colleague could, would be similar to what had happened uh, at a prior company. And it scared me. Um, and so I found myself, you know, maybe getting a little bit more nervous about and having more anxiety about certain kinds of uh, interactions at work, group meetings, um, and, and things like that, where in the past I had been called out or I felt like treated unfairly and, uh, just kind of have to give the, the new the new folks you're working with a chance to show you that they're not like the other people. Um, and it's been like that most of my life. Um, you know, I've, I had always been a, a more trusting soul, a, a person that wanted to give others the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I gave my ex-stepmother the benefit of the doubt and, you know, she unfortunately took advantage of that. And, uh, you know, I like to help people. But what I realized was that you, you have to help yourself before you can really be helpful to others. And 
it took a long time for me to learn that lesson and to figure out how I could best help myself. Uh, but one of the biggest ways was to get out of the abusive relationship that I had with my family. And uh, I will say that, you know, my my family ties are strained, if non-existent at this point. Um, it's really all it can be is kind of a superficial, hi, how are you kind of relationship um, because it, they can't get over the past. They can't let it go. And I have an issue with people who refuse to take any accountability for their own actions. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm dealing with right now with our political climate is not only are our local, state, and federal <coughs> leaders <coughs> making what I feel are very poor choices with regard to the COVID-19 epidemic, but they make these choices and then they don't ever say that they made a bad choice earlier. They never apologize. They never acknowledge that they may have done something wrong. And this is a new disease. We're all learning about this disease as we go. Um, and so it's okay to admit you don't know everything. But when people sweep stuff under the rug and try to pretend like they didn't do anything or that their inaction wasn't actually something they did and it cost lives and livelihoods, um, that really bothers me because we need people who are accountable. And I've seen that at companies and seeing that in our, in our government at every level. Personally, I find very sickening. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of our listeners, including myself, you know, uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think there's a lot of a lot of valuable points that you made, you know, you know, as as I look at, you know, a lot of things that people have kind of seen me post out there on LinkedIn and things that I've talked about. It, 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 it not only has been in support of the, the social uprising, the Black Lives Matter and trying to do that in a very peaceful aspect. But it's also to require people to think a little bit along the same lines is that, you know, if we stripped away color in all of this, we are really cut from the same cloth. I mean, we are really thinking the same. We are really, you know, a single uh, uh, mankind, as, as they would say. And, and I'm going to give a correlation because, like, in your case, you know, you mentioned earlier, you said you know, as you left from one company, moved to another company, and you always had these fears or anxiety about, you know, whether or not people would perceive your disability or your panic attack or whatever uh, things that, that may have similarities to your prior job, to your new job, may possibly flare up. And you were trying to be forthright in coming in and saying, hey, you know, I do have these things. I just want to make sure you guys are aware so that, so that I'm not discriminated against. And so you being a, a Caucasian woman, professional Caucasian woman, okay? Now I'm going to flip this around on you and, and just look at it from a different dynamic because of the simple fact that I want to I I take our audience into a parallel here and show them, you know, when you remove the color, I mean, you, we deal with the same we deal with the same stuff. I was about to say the SHIT, but we deal with the same stuff. <laughs> I mean, but 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 let's face it. I'm gonna, I'm going to paint I'm going to paint the same picture but from my perspective, okay? Okay. You know, from my perspective, you know, when I was working with my first company that I owned for 12 years, uh, you know, we were all over the world doing various projects and I worked for a lot of 
large conglomerate uh, engineering procurement construction based company, large Fortune 500 companies, multi multi billion dollar companies. These companies, in a lot of cases, because our company was always referred, we didn't advertise, we didn't market because we were so good at what we did. We were very specialized. We were always referred to other CEOs and VPs and so forth and so on. And so the thing that people would always hinder on or they would always judge by is like if they had a discussion with me on the phone and then I would make the flight in to have a face-to-face meeting, the perception of how they treated me on the phone and the perception of how they treated me in person was was completely in the realm of what you talked about because the perception of how they heard me on the phone, they thought I was a Caucasian male. But when I showed up in person, here it is, I'm a skinny African-American professional guy. And, and it was like, well, wait one damn minute. I'm still the same individual, so why should this be any different? And so always in my mind, you know, I would always go from company to company saying to myself, you know, what am I going to have to deal with? And of course, I was always prepared to deal with it, you know, professionally and, and, and with diplomacy intact. But it was always just that little bit of concern that would always resonate with me. So I can truly relate when you talk about going from company to company and then having the issues or things that you dealt with as a as a woman, you know, from my perspective as a business owner, you know, a successful business owner having to deal with those exact same things. But when you strip away the color, they're almost a very similar, you know, analogy as you compare one to the other. You know, as it relates to concerns of angst and, and 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 things that you're not quite comfortable with with disclosing, and it was just very frustrating for me. You know, right? And and so it it makes you wonder. You know, should you literally say, "Hey, by the way, I'm black," you know, right. before you make the trip out there? And and I can exactly. only imagine. You know the the sadness you must have felt that you mm-hmm. were treated differently and you may have thought, okay, we're on the right track here. And then that kind of threw up a shield. Um, right. That same kind of situation happened to me. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, I think, you know, I have this wonderful uh, training and development specialist who will just do whatever I say. And she's an awesome performer, but then something's happened where, things aren't going as well as they were. You know, she's missing work. Why is she missing so much work? Medical reasons. Okay, I'm not supposed to ask about why. All managers see is that you're not there and that you're not contributing. They don't really care why. Yep. And yep. you can share why, which I I gladly did because I thought it was better to be transparent. Yes, I was out because I had a, a very severe migraine spell. Mm-hmm. You know that I have mm-hmm. that is another disability I have is chronic migraines. Unfortunately, I don't know when they're going to pop up. I think we had to reschedule the podcast multiple times because of that. Actually, it's hard to have a social life, let alone a career. Um, and so, I, I took all those lessons. You know, all the things that happened to me at the larger companies, because that's usually where I I dealt with the worst of it Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. the larger companies where you're a cog in the wheel and you may feel like a number but you're still important enough to where if you're not there somebody's going to notice and is going to have a problem with it you have to be 
constantly producing, constantly contributing. And as soon as you're no longer doing that, they write you off. You're no longer worth their time. It doesn't matter if you're struggling with a disability, a medical issue, family issues. Even if you tell them what's going on, if it doesn't get better, they're not going to want to keep you. So, you know, I, I did make a conscious decision at one point to basically tell my manager that I needed to take some time to get well because I was missing too much work because of the migraines. And I did take some time, um, some medical leave to try to get well and I did improve. But as soon as I went back, I realized that all the things that had happened to me there had created so much anxiety that I literally could not go into the building anymore without Mm -hmm. taking anti-anxiety medication just to go in there. And I realized this is not healthy for me. And I quit. And I tried, you know, the same thing again at another larger company where when I needed to request accommodations, I did. And of course, they make that whole show of telling you that if you do that, they're going to work with you. And they sort of kind of did. And then when it got too hard, they cut me loose. So what I realized was that as a consultant, as a contractor, as a person who worked remotely part of the time, if I had time to take some time to get well or to get through a medical issue, I could do that without even having to tell anybody because I was logging hours, I was getting all my work done. And if I had to take a little time here and there, I would. The difference was at those larger companies, I'm sitting in a cubicle, you have to be there every day, every day of the week, eight to five, eight to six, whatever the hours are. They want to see butts in the seats and they want to see productivity. And if you're, and if that starts to fail or that expectation you mentioned earlier, you'd set the bar really high. And then if mm-hmm. you couldn't match that all the time, you would get flack for that. That happens to me a lot because I try to put my whole self into what I'm doing. But what I realized is that I can't always give 100%. I have to give as much as I can based on how I'm feeling. So when I went to interview at other companies uh, in the fall of 2019, I, I kind of had my pick of the litter and I was very upfront about what I would need in terms of fl- some flexibility accommodation, so to speak, without being too specific about my disabilities, um, just to make sure that this is going to be okay. I need a little flexibility in terms of you know, work times. I need some flexibility in terms of being able to work remotely if necessary. Um, And once I had kind of set that standard at the beginning and they still were recruiting me heavily and I took the job and they've kept their word and, and I've kept producing. And, you know, I have an understanding with my, my manager that, you know, if I have an issue, I take care of it he knows I'm going to get the work done. I always have, and I always will. So there's this trust factor that unfortunately I never was able to really establish at the larger companies that I now have with this much smaller company where everyone is important because we're all essential. Everybody does something different and we all lean on each other and depend on each other. And even the leaders, you know, 
need to work with everybody in order for this company to be successful because this is a, a tech startup and you know how it goes with a small business. We all want this to succeed. We're all vested. And I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, you hit on just some more just, uh, I mean, they're just relevant points. I mean, you know, some of the same reasons why you saw working for a large conglomerate type company uh, and why you decided to leave that type, type of environment was was very much the same reasons as to why I left and started my first uh, small business back in 2003 and 2004 was, was for some of those very same reasons. Just the sure fact that, like you said, you're, you're a number. You know, there was no opportunity for advancement. I mean, the harder you work, the more they demand, the more they took. I mean, it was yeah, all of yes, these exactly. catalysts. Yeah, the, all of these catalysts that basically say, well, if I'm going to work this hard and I'm going to be a slave to something that really I'm only getting marginalized benefit from, you know, I'm better off doing this on my own. And uh, we've got an episode coming up where, and it's so ironic that we're talking about this right now, that uh, the guy that gave me the opportunity to basically moonlight uh, was an engineer with me when I was an engineer working for a microelectronics company many, many years ago. And we both used to sit around in the cafeteria doing our, our uh, we were working like the night shift, talking about the what ifs, you know, what if, what if we venture out and do our own business? What if we venture out and do this, do that? And so he had an opportunity to start a company up before I did. And when his company got into trouble, he ended up calling me saying, hey, can you, can you come down and help out? And that was the first taste of entrepreneurship, you know, first taste of being able to to make enough money to survive. And, and, and it just gave me the bug. It gave me the itch basically to say, you know what, it's time for me to really get out of these large conglomerate companies because I knew in my mind, just like you knew in your mind, I didn't fit well. I always wanted to have the flexibility and I needed that flexibility because you know, I sometimes I'll work 16, 18, 48 hours straight. And then other times, maybe I want to sleep, you know, five or six hours or 10 hours. And it doesn't really matter what time of day that is, you know, just, just like you, you get long as the work's getting done. Why should you be, why should you be judged whether or not your butt's in the seat or not? And, right. Uh, and, and the whole landscape of work has changed in just the last few months because of COVID and the lockdowns that have taken place where companies um, like some of the ones I worked at that really didn't like working remotely. They weren't set up for that. They didn't trust the employees to do their work at home. They all kind of had to take that chance and they had to make adjustments. And what we're finding is that some companies are realizing that they're actually seeing a higher degree of productivity from employees where they're providing more flexibility. Because if you're trying to get someone who you know, has children, which I do not, we have dogs, <laughs> um, has children, you know, when I think about it in terms of if I'm a woman that's married and I have children and I'm working, that's three jobs. And it just isn't possible to do all of those jobs perfectly. And you can't really multitask. You're half tasking or quarter tasking because you can't divide up a pie that's 100% any more than 100%. If you cut it in half, that's 50%. And so what I saw also was working mothers struggling um, and being made to feel guilty if they had to go pick up their kid from school or from daycare. Um, and I kind of got the same 
reaction if I needed to leave work early or go to the, go to a doctor's appointment. Um, and it just got to the point where it felt like I was just nothing but a problem child. And I didn't want to be branded that way. And I didn't want to feel like that either. Um, and for me, I wanted to feel like I was a contributor. I want to see my contributions. And I want once in a while to get some feedback, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever it may be. And I get that now. Mm-hmm. I ask for it and I've learned to ask for feedback. Um, but I've also learned to kind of set standards as well for myself and also make sure others are aware of of some of those standards too because you can call the shots in your own life and that's right that's the biggest lesson i've learned and i have to do that i think a lot of people have to do that and are finding their voices now so you know you, you mentioned um feeling differently about working with someone when you saw the look on their face when you walk in the door and you just know it was because they thought you were white and here you come in and you're not um and it threw them off um Mm -hmm. now it's one thing when people act differently towards us because we're different and they can't relate to us Mm -hmm. it's another thing when people are persecuted because we're different and they can't relate to us. And I feel that I was persecuted because of my disabilities. Um, If you get fired for having a panic attack and you have a disability, you have PTSD, you have a panic attack, and that's why they fire you and then they lie about it when you're incapacitated. You know, they're, they're taking advantage of the situation and they're also making it clear that all of that talk about it being illegal to discriminate against a person because of their disability, it's all BS. Because the ultimate bottom line is that the more time and effort they have to spend worrying about you, if you're just a specialist or a consultant, they're not going to take the time to do that. Now, if you're a director or a VP, maybe they would. But of course, who has a disability and is able to actually make it into the director level positions or the C-suite. Those people are workaholics and they typically don't have disability challenges. Right. And th- right. they show that they're able to be there on call 24-7. And that's just not something that I'm able to commit to. And I think it's completely unrealistic. So I think that what we're finding is that companies are having to take a look at this because the issue is being forced, the issue mm-hmm. about working remotely and giving your employees a little bit more flexibility for being able to determine their own hours, they're working when they can, because that's the situation. If you have small kids that can't be left alone, you can't be the parent, the teacher, and the full-time worker bee. You've got to take time to do each thing, otherwise you're going to fail at one of them. And God forbid that one of those be that your kids get hurt or something because you weren't able to watch them. Yeah. yeah. And that was the reality that a lot of working parents were dealing with in the last few months, uh, including my brother, who's got two kids under the age of five and both he and his wife are working full time at home. He said it was terribly difficult for those two months for them to be able to do all of that. Um, 
now going back to you know I, I do want to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter if that's all right with you because I feel that this is an opportunity for potentially the country and especially the younger generation that is starting to come into play you know millennials are the largest working group or were um, and among all the people that are that are currently working in corporate America or that have businesses Um, but at one point we had four generations working alongside one another because a lot of the Gen Xers um, and baby boomers didn't retire because of the recession of 2008 and they just kept working for an extra five to ten years and one of the things that that I saw um, especially when I was working in an HR department was that there was a lot of miscommunication between the different generations and there were a lot of assumptions being made about different generations um, people you know make comments like you know millennials are lazy you know that they they think that they should be able to work remotely all the time they don't care about politics they don't care about the world they don't care about um, being a part of you know anything other than just themselves and I think what's what we've seen in the past few weeks has been that they are definitely interested in being a part of the political landscape if they feel they can actually make a difference. And I think that's what we have now is we have a chance to make a huge difference for African Americans, for Native Americans, for Asian Americans, for the Hispanic community, for immigrants. And I think that we have a chance to come together and use our collective voices to finally make the changes that need to be made so that this, you know, 150 plus years of oppression of African Americans is done, or at least people will be able to hold others responsible for anything that they do that is, you know, hate crime related, discriminatory persecution and just overall oppression um, because it never has gone away it's just been a topic that hasn't really been addressed fully or when it is addressed people I've seen a lot of people on social media try to minimize it by throwing in the well I thought all lives mattered and how come we're only talking about this and the reason is because white lives aren't in danger right now Every week, every other day, we're hearing of another black person that's been killed, that has been treated unfairly or hurt or harmed by not just police, by by others. I mean, look at what happened with NASCAR. Um, somebody leaving a noose in Bubba Wallace's bay. I mean, right. in this right. day and age, really? Yeah. And I I just think that there's so much that can be done and we're seeing people a very multicultural and also multi-generational mass of people around the world that are finally demonstrating and finally being heard um, and not only do I feel like it's about time I feel like this has to happen it just can't stay like this you're right you're right you're right and 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 not to uh, to cut this conversation short, but but certainly, um, you know, one point I want to make uh, that you mentioned earlier was uh, 
you know, this oppression has really gone on for greater than 400 years. I have, I've traced my family roots back over 300 years wow. back into the slave uh, era and, you know, trying to figure out how do I, how do I take all of this information now and then take it back through the Caribbean and then from the Caribbean back over into the Gold Coast of Africa, you know, where a lot of slave trade trading actually happened. So I'm very familiar with, you know, kind of how from my perspective of my family uh, dealt with, you know, the overall slavery aspect, you know, some some 400 years ago. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely right. You know, the world has got to hit a reset button globally, regionally, however you want to look at it. You know, ultimately, we are just in a time where things uh, can't continue to go on the way that they have been. People have to be treated fairly. They have to be treated with respect. You know, we have to find a way to harmonize and create unity, not only just for one side or what they call white privilege or this or that. It's got to be equally distributed kind of for all, you know, for those that are willing to to put forth the effort, persevere and be able to, to go forth and in achieving that. But certainly in life in general, you know, it's going to continue to hinder um, our society as a whole until we do decide to hit the reset button. And like you said, the things that are going on with with Bubba Wallace is it's just a heinous crime. You know, it's just it's horrible, you know, for someone like that, that is, that is going to be, you know, a spokesperson in the NASCAR circuit that, you know, we can't have peace as we begin to break down some of these barriers and move forward in a cortical manner, uh, with, with executing our skill set and expertise the same way as others. I mean, you know, I, I, I listened to this video that I put out on LinkedIn and it basically talks about, you know, in here, we are, you know, as, 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 a, as a general public, you know, you're cheering on black athletes. You're, you're wanting them to hit harder. You want them to run faster. You want them to score more points. But then out here, we're not getting the same cheering and respectful aspect that is needed, you know, as, 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 as we would want to receive to stop the system from putting us in a position to where we feel like, you know, we're being stereotyped or profiled or oppressed from, from, from having the same rights and justice that everyone else has. And so it's, right. you know, it's, it's just all these things that are so, so powerful. And you can and tie it back in to what we're, what we were discussing about when a large, you know, corporation doesn't feel that you're worth their time. If you need some extra help, they just cast you out. And I feel like for these incredible athletes, um, they're still not able to get some of the basic rights that they deserve. I mean, look at what happened with Colin Kaepernick. That's I mean, right. he, he, he was an amazing quarterback. And mm-hmm. he took a knee during the national anthem in protest for Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. And mm-hmm. he was ousted. completely ousted from the NFL. No team would even look at him twice. And he was way ahead of his time. And he took, he made a sacrifice that others were afraid to do because they were afraid that they would lose their livelihood and they were bullied out of basically speaking their truth. But now we have that flipped around. And so 
people are realizing that, okay, I actually have a louder voice because I am on that national stage as as Bubba Wallace has done. He's, you know, been doing interviews. He's being spe- he's been speaking about, you know, his concerns. He was actually able to get them to take the Confederate flag down. Um, but the fact that someone would still use the old school terror that used to happen all the time in the Deep South right. with Jim Crow laws and then even beyond that after the Civil Rights Act was, was put into place, Black people have been terrorized for hundreds of years in this country. That's right. That's to right. keep them silent, to keep them doing what people want them to do. They don't want to have to do anything special for them. They just want them to keep contributing. But the thing that I think is most important is that they are some of the biggest contributors, in right. my opinion. They're, they're, most of the essential workers are Black, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. that be in healthcare, whether that be... Um, with our, you know, our transit companies, bus drivers, subway drivers, train drivers, um, paramedics, firefighters, you know, there's even a large percentage that have decided to become police, even though that's been increasingly difficult because there's a huge problem with our policing system where blacks have a really hard time rising the ranks, if not, you know, even being discriminated against if they even bring up their discontent or frustration with how they or other blacks that are being arrested are being treated and we're just at a point where those voices can no longer be silenced because there are so many people who are finally coming to the aid and saying no we're listening this time no you're gonna listen to this and we talk about white privilege. I feel like that a lot of times is just a person being ignorant of the problem because it doesn't impact them. And the reason why George Floyd's death was so impactful was because for the first time, people of all colors saw the oppression and mm-hmm. what I consider to be a public lynching of a black man. Where we had only maybe heard of it in school, if even, or on a documentary, or in a book, or from an old picture of of a lynching. We saw a public lynching of a black man. We watched that man die, and none of the people filming it were able to save his life because they were afraid their lives would have been in danger. And when it gets that bad, a huge change needs to occur. And... I'm, I'm so glad that even though he's being terrorized, somebody like Bubba Wallace is speaking out and that so many people have come to his side and shown their support for him publicly. Um, that NASCAR parade where all the pit crews and all the other drivers were walking, you know, down the straightaway with him mm-hmm. while he was in his car, number 43, you know, the significant number of, uh, uh, the first black, you know, African, well, African American baseball player. I mean, Jackie Robinson. I mean, it's, you know, he was a he was a a pioneer as well, and dealt with a lot of racial tensions and issues um, along the way. And I, I just, I don't think that there's ever been a time where people haven't had challenges with this if they're black. They just have dealt with it. They've just kind of swallowed it and moved forward. And like you said, you know, you 
you'd had conversations growing up about it, but how in the world do you tell your children, this is just how it is. It may never change. That's not America. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, 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 and basically to kind of, to kind of summarize, you know, my parents always taught my brother and I really to treat people fairly. And we always knew growing up that there was always what I would consider to be this undertone of, of, of racial uh, inequality and injustice that was going on. But, you know, we had opportunities where we were facing these type of things head on because of the need of whether it was, you know, cutting grass, washing our cars or doing whatever uh, that we knew how to adapt in that environment to be able to survive. Now, is it something that you always want to consider? Like you said, with regards to your kids, how do you tell them about that? How do you allow for them to be a part of something that the U.S. says the home of the free and the and 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 home of the brave? I mean, let's be realistic. If you're not free and you're living in modern day slavery, you know, because you feel afraid to step out. The exact same thing that's happening right now. The streets will talk and eventually someone will have to listen. And ultimately, we're faced with that today because my generation, everyone's generation that has saw this and dealt with it and and their parents have saw it and dealt with it. We're frustrated to the gills and enough's enough. I mean, honestly, enough's enough. And Lauren, I mean, I don't mean to cut this short. This has been great conversation. I mean, this has been awesome. I mean, this is this is just uh, this has been wonderful. I mean, you know, today is today. I mean, you know, regardless of how people look at it, you know, number one, points that are being made, you know, you have to basically help yourself first. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, not only with individuals that are fed up with companies, individuals that are fed up with the systems and the inequality, the injustice, the oppression. We're realizing that we have to do it on our own. We also have to overcome our fears, which you which you chimed on, you know, immensely through your dialogue, regardless of whether those fears have been based on disability or stereotyping or or black or white. We have to figure out ways to overcome those. We have to be accountable for our own actions, you know, and take ownership of our decision, as you've alluded to. I mean, you said you know, primarily within the public sector right now, people are making decisions or public figures or public leaders. They're making these decisions. And then heavens forbid, you know, they're putting people in harm's way. They're not taking accountability for the type of things that really they should be coming back to the general public saying, hey, we're sorry. And I think the other point that that we talked about that is so, so common in mankind as it stands today is the fact that, like I said, when you strip away color, we got a lot of similarities when it comes to just getting to know people and understand what people are all about. Having some compassion, having some empathy, understanding what goes on and why people have the beliefs and why they tick and why these things and decisions are made in ways that that people have buried deep down inside their souls of, as, as far as their thought process and how they've gotten to this type of decision-making process. I mean, if we were just to put forth a little bit of effort, just a little bit of effort, things could start to begin to evolve in the right possibility of change. And really, that's that's all I'm advocating right now. That's all I'm promoting because 
you know, I really want, and I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast wants for their daughter, their kids, their siblings, their grandkids. They want them to be able to have a much prosperous life. I mean, that's always been the goal. How about as, a fair as, shot? A Just fair a shot, fair shot would be Absolutely. enough, right? Uh, but that's the shot. other thing is we want people to realize that, that you should and can stand up for yourself, but you mm-hmm. should and can stand up for others as well, especially others who are having trouble. And if you see others that are being oppressed or mistreated, help them out. That's right. That's the other part. And we're seeing that happening, um, which really makes me feel like I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. And I feel like this is the chance we have to make certain things right. And I'm really hoping that the powers that be enable that. And I'm also really hoping that we get all this voter registration and anti-mail-in ballot stuff sorted out because we want to make sure that everyone is able to vote. And that's another challenge we're seeing is that especially um, disproportionately in in African-American communities where they're shutting polls down or they are making it very difficult for people to actually go vote. And most of those people that they're making it very difficult for are minorities. And so I'm, I know you and I both know that our current commander in chief is not the right person to lead this kind of evolutionary change here in America. He doesn't want to see this kind of change. And the only way we're going to get there is if we can make some adjustments to who's in charge. And I think people who are younger have felt that they didn't really have a voice and they didn't have a way to impact that. But what we're seeing is that we do and we need to be committed to making these changes happen and that we are all a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. And Lauren, yeah, we're we're literally like out of time. And okay. And certainly, certainly, I wish that we we had more time to to dive into this for another hour. Uh, but we'd like to certainly thank you for for coming on board and sharing um, your thoughts and and your opinions with regards to what's going on in today's society and sharing you know, uh, what an incredible backstory of, of what you have to deal with and had to persevere as being a woman who has, has overcome a lot of challenges in corporate life and, or excuse me, in corporate society. And, uh, you know, we, we're just honored to have you on board and we'd like to give you just, uh, about 30 seconds here to, to, to express any final remarks. Well, thanks. I really appreciate you having me. And, you know, today is today. Today is the day that you can make a change, that you can decide to get out of bad relationship, decide to get out of a job that is oppressing you, and to decide that you want to be a part of meaningful social change and ending injustice, not just in this country, but in our jobs, in the corporate America that has been made out to be some kind of, you know, goal for everyone when it just hasn't been available to everyone. And we want to make, at least give everybody a fair shot. And uh, that that's what I'm hoping for, Gregory. So I, I feel like uh, a lot of our discussion kind of surrounded that topic. And I really appreciate you letting me be a part of that dialogue. So thank you very much. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And we certainly appreciate having you on board. And uh, with that being said to our listeners, uh, I'm Gregory Proctor. You've been listening to episode 19. Today is today. We appreciate our special guest, Lauren. And I'd like to say goodbye to everyone. Lauren, goodbye to you. And uh, everyone have a nice day. Be safe out there and uh, keep your head up and be safe. Bye-bye. Take care.